Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Healing Fucking Sucks. You guys, I have been MIA for two weeks, and I truly apologize, but, you know, Zeke the Frenchie got sick, and it just kind of took a big tumble down there. But nevertheless, we are back full swing, and we are back with Ben Taylor. Ben Taylor is a self-aware narcissist, diagnosed narcissist. Um, He likes to help liberate people from narcissistic relationships and empower them to thrive. Ben Taylor, I am so intrigued. I am so excited to talk to you. I've watched many of your videos on Instagram. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, this is the first that we've talked about narcissists on the show, but it's the first time that we've actually had a self-aware and diagnosed one on the show. So I feel this is so important to bring awareness to this and to have more people like you, you know, come out Mm -hmm. and speak your truth. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did all this start? Yeah. So, I mean, to give a good example from like the very beginning, it started with becoming a liar in so many different ways. And for me, it became this piece of, if I lie, I get away with what I want to do, right? I get away with, you know, seeing a person doing something, whatever it might be. And it started to perpetuate in different aspects of life. And then it started to get involved with other relationships slowly through childhood through high school through college got into a place where relationships became this like cyclical thing like over and around like always having a new relationship and then an old relationship kind of dying off and I was never without anybody it was just always constantly happening and when I got out of college there was this piece of like well it'll stop whenever I get married right so I got married continued that process and thought oh, okay now I'm good But then about a year into it was when I started up the first affair. And that just continued. Like these whole cycles kept continuing with different people. And so it got to a place where I was like, I'm starting to see these cycles. And I'm like, maybe it's someone else's fault. It's not mine. You know, There's this avoidance piece for sure. But then I got to a place where I was like, I feel like I'm just cursed. Like no matter what I do, this is just going to happen. This is just kind of like my blight in life. Like I'll just continue moving forward in every couple of years. I'll be in an affair. It's just, I just, that's how I justified it. Right. And so with work, there was a couple of things where we started getting into like team management, team, oh, you know, how people work together, all this kind of stuff. And oftentimes it comes up with like the typical, like, Hey, how do people actually do this with like personality tests? So like disc personality tests, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, all these different kinds of tests. We were taking different tests and I started noticing like, hey, my results are like way different than most people. Like the the empathy portion of most of them like doesn't exist. So there's different pieces where I'm like, this is kind of weird. I had a book that was given to me and unbeknownst to me, there was even a piece of it about narcissism that I never realized. It's about the third time I read it, but it was Brene Brown's book, uh, Daring Greatly. And it talks about this level of shame and like toxic shame and things like that. So I started putting a piece together of like, oh, I have shame. Like there's pieces of my life that I feel shame. Start to identify with a piece of that. Um, Start to identify that, okay, maybe I'm just emotionally immature at times. And so read a book on emotional intelligence, started to be like, okay, I can get more in tune with some of that. But all this was still like really disconnected. 
then got to a place where the fourth affair at this point was exposed. Um, it got to a place where my boss and my wife were like, maybe he's a sex addict. Let's send him to like a sex addiction intensive, went to that. And really the result coming out of that was realizing, okay, I'm not a sex addict. At that point, I'd already had narcissism like introduced to me. Uh, I was in the kitchen one time and I asked my wife, I was like, I don't really like care about people the same way. I don't really connect with people the same way. Like maybe I'm a sociopath. And so we looked it up and we were kind of like, no, I don't think you're a sociopath. And she was like, you might be a narcissist. And she'd already been watching like Lee Hammock's videos. She'd already seen stuff about narcissism from other people. And I was like, nah, like can't be like, that's not me. That's not who I am. Right. And so then I went to other people, friends, coworkers, affair partners and was like, Hey, my wife thinks this, like how ridiculous is that to have them go back and even try to tell her and convince her that I wasn't a narcissist. So as I walked out of the sex addiction intensive, there's also this like realization of if I'm not a sex addict and we've checked off a bunch of other things that I'm not, maybe I actually am a narcissist. And it started me down this road that I didn't want to go down, right? I didn't want to actually admit this might be who I was. And so started looking into therapy, um, started looking into different versions of therapy. So did EMDR for about six months initially, still really resistant to a lot of things. There's different pieces that healed, but not necessarily even narcissism at that point, because I was still showing up abusive, negative, like all this kind of stuff. And then started looking for a regular like talk therapist and cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that. Went through like several before I found the one that I'm with still today and walked in and was kind of like... I think I'm a narcissist. And she was like, okay, let's talk about it. And it just opened up the door for me to actually be open and communicate. And we started down this journey of realizing that there's pieces that I need to work on. There's pieces that I hadn't seen. And all of this kind of coincided with joining a group called Wake Up Warrior and going through Wake Up Warrior Challenge that started to expose as a man, the lies that I told myself. I knew there was a level that I told lies to other people. I lied to my wife. I lied to my coworkers, my boss, my friends, everybody, right? But I never really viewed and acknowledged that I lied to myself and that those lies to myself, how they were actually costing me and destroying my entire life. And so that whole journey started to wake up the reality of I have lies in my life. And unless I actually get honest about those, nothing's going to change. And I'm always going to be stuck in this dead end rut, just going in and out the same cycle over and over and over again. So that kind of catches us up to like more modern times of like now, as we're going through this, I get to a place where people start reaching out and they're like, Hey, saw your content, which I originally started to post just to tell the truth. I'm like, if I tell the truth, it's one way of burning the bridges. I can't go back if people, if everybody knows, right? Telling the truth for myself, yeah. for God, for everybody. Of like, hey, let's put this out there. And then people started asking like, hey, can we talk to you? We want to understand. We want to get closure. And then it turned into the coaching business and actually working on helping break people free from narcissistic abuse now to what it is today. Wow. I have so many questions. <laughs> Right. So, so much, many questions. So much packed in there. Well, yeah, but there's also uh since you know narcissism is such a buzzword right now, um, I feel there's like so many like stigmas around um narcissists. The way that you described like how you discovered your uh NPD was that basically kind of like a drug addict in a way. Mm -hmm. which is 
a different way than anyone else that I've heard talk about it because for the most part, I feel like most narcissists don't go to somebody and say, hey, do you think I'm a narcissist? I feel like it it takes a certain level of something in you to want to like really be a better person for yourself, for your family. Maybe if you couldn't do it for yourself at the time, definitely your family, right? Your wife. Well, initially that wasn't a that wasn't a piece of it. Like from that narcissistic frame, I didn't really care. Like I didn't really care wow. about the family. I didn't really care about her. And so it didn't have anything to do with I didn't change for her. I didn't grow for her. That wasn't like the whole point. And anybody that does quote unquote change for another person, it's always short lived. It's never going to last long term because as soon as that person lets you down, then just revert right back. Well, if that, if I was changing for that person, then there's no point in it. So that wasn't a driver for me. Um, part of it was realizing and recognizing that cycle that I was in. And then ultimately, like if a person can't be honest, like no change can happen. And so being confronted with the fact that I wasn't a man because I was a liar, like through and through, that was probably one of the biggest frames that started to adjust of like, okay, now I need to actually, if I'm going to work on this, then I need to get truthful to myself. If I don't, then there's no hope in actually having any true transformation actually happen. Yeah, no. And I totally agree with you that like, you can't change for someone else. You have to change for yourself. But um, I was just asking in general, like, was that like the start of your driving force to like make you look into what was wrong with you at all? No. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you feel as a narcissist. Cause you've already said like you didn't feel empathy. Do you, mm -hmm. or can you feel empathy at all still? So when you think of empathy, typically people describe it in typically two or three different ways. Uh, and typically it's divided up into emotional empathy or cognitive empathy. And mm -hmm. emotional is like those like heart pulls of like you see someone crying and you start crying or you have someone that's dealing with emotion and you feel it like in your gut kind of thing. And the cognitive empathy oftentimes is this like knowingness and knowledge of like, okay, I could see like why this is happening, or I could see why this is affecting you. I might not feel the same way, but I could see that. So over the past couple of years with therapy, with the work that I've been doing, like internally, it's been bringing up that level of cognitive empathy um, for sure. Like that is radically adjusted. So being able to connect with other people, being able to put myself in their shoes, being able to understand, okay, I can see why you're struggling with that. I can understand that. It doesn't necessarily mean that someone is going to start crying and I'm going to start crying like that. That piece doesn't connect the same way as it would with someone who's like more empathetic in that regard. And a lot of the pieces of dealing with other people's emotions. So like, for instance, let's use my wife as an example. Early on, the frame is like if she's struggling and she's having emotions, I don't want to deal with those. Right. Like that, that's something that's an inconvenience to me. That's something that I don't want to deal with. And it's not always because I don't want to deal with her emotions. It's because her emotions are bringing up emotions inside of me that I don't want to face or that I don't want to deal with. So there's this avoidance of like, I see that in myself, can't have that. Let's squash that. Then I feel better about myself. So in, in working through the healing process and doing stuff together as like couples, like couples therapy and things like that, part of it at times has been the therapist, like even working with me and vice versa at times of like trying to not just put myself in her shoes, but being able to actually feel it 
like coming out of my head because we're we we both are like head types so we'll both like try to think our way through things instead of feel things at times so like bringing from my head down to my heart of like okay how do I actually feel about that and sometimes he'll walk us through like different meditations or different things to kind of break that aspect of what I'm feeling but that's kind of been one of the breakthroughs even in the past six months of realizing that there's different times that her emotions are ones that are not an inconvenience. And I don't treat them like that, but it's like, I can feel something. And that something is there's different emotions that are getting activated in me that sometimes I haven't dealt with before, or I haven't recognized. So pulling those out and trying to work through that, it's a whole different ball game. So there's a piece of the cognitive empathy that is like skyrocketed. Like I can, I can understand, I can, I can be able to pick up on that. I can work with people like that. And that helps with the job that I do. But then the emotional piece, I'd say it's, it's there, but it's like very small. And it's something that is always a constant work and a constant growth. And there's probably a level and like a limit that I'll kind of cap out at probably just see like even brain wise, unless I do some of the new stuff that like people have of like expanding your gray matter and stuff like that, because there's different levels that, you know, our mind already is going to struggle with based on just how we're built. Yeah. So when you get that feeling, is it just like an uncomfortable feeling or do you know, like, okay, this is something that is coming up that I just am not about to even deal with. Uh, early on it'd be uncomfortable and i'd like run away from it kind of a thing or like rage blame like do anything to avoid it like now it's more of like this is uncomfortable and i feel it and then i'll take that i'll take that feeling and i actually like work through it i'll like figure out okay either work through it with like one of the counselors that i work with or work through it like on my own through some of the tools that i use to help like understand what is the story that i'm actually thinking or telling myself when I'm experiencing whatever trigger, whatever emotion just happened. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, My ex, who was a narcissist, um, who has not been diagnosed, but he's on the whole scale. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. checks off all the marks. He um, definitely used to do that to me. If I had something happen in my life, which is rare, I'm not a very emotional person. So if I did cry or have something that came up that was really emotional to me, he would just like exit the building. He -hmm. wouldn't even stay in the same room with me. And it's weird because he does the same thing to his daughter, which is sad Mm -hmm. because she's, she's young. Um, But typically with that, it can be like twofold. Like it can be you have an uncomfortable emotion that has nothing to do with him at all. And he like takes that on or he feels that and he runs away from it. Or it can be, you have an uncomfortable emotion because of something he did. And he runs away from that because he's like, if I acknowledge that she has this emotion, then it means that I'm actually a bad person because I'm acknowledging that I did something wrong. So there's a lot of narcissists that have more cognitive empathy than what people think. It's just there's this logic piece of like, if I validate your emotions, then it's going to come back on me that I'm the one that caused those bad emotions. And that's going to bring about shame and guilt on my part. And I don't want that. So let me walk away instead. Yeah. So do you think that um, narcissists are these monsters that everybody are painting them out to be? Or do you think that they are just coming from trauma, childhood trauma that was never like dealt with? Or do you think this is just 
like genetic. What do you think? So I would say a little bit of both of the first two and a little bit less on the genetic. Um, the reason why I okay. say that is because we see a lot of times people that will grow up in these households that will become narcissists or be with narcissists. And we see that oftentimes. And oftentimes that's just because of how they're raised, not because it's inherently like genetic. I think genetics sometimes can predispose someone to lean that direction, but it still is how are they actually being modeled? How are they actually being shown this? And when people are able to help people deal with guilt and deal with shame in a positive way, oftentimes they continue moving forward and they don't have such negative effects. But when they're brought up in some of these split households or some of these narcissistic households, it makes sense that a lot of people turn out narcissistic. Going back to the first part of your question of, you know, is the person a monster? Is this person, you know, just dealing with trauma? Uh, it's, it's both. And in reality, it's both because any of us could be monsters. Like, that's just the reality of it. Like anybody yeah. could be the person that snaps, goes off, yells, screams, hurt someone. The thing with a narcissist is oftentimes it's initially in the spot where it, it's changed in the mind of because of this exposure, because of this truth, because of this vulnerability, whatever it might be, I need to do something to avoid it. And if that something is monster-like, or if that something is, paints me as a monster, that's better than people actually seeing me for the monster I think I am. So I had a time inside of therapy where I walked in one day and we were sitting down talking through stuff. And I just read a couple chapters about grooming inside of uh, Psychopath 3. And I was like, after okay. reading these, these are things that I've done that I didn't even realize I was doing in the moment. I didn't have names for them. I, I thought they were like me building connection with people. And I was like, I don't know if I'm a man or a monster. And I'll never forget like her response to me in the moment was like very quick and very like kind of off to the side. She was like, maybe you're both. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, maybe you're both. It just depends on what environment you're in, how you respond. So like if you're in a place where you're viewing it in an incorrect frame or incorrect reality, then you respond that way versus if you're outside of that, then how do you respond differently? So interesting. I love your approach on this because Online, I feel like it's so just black or white. And since narcissism is such a buzzword, everybody and their mother's cousin's aunt's dog is trying to make content about it to get followers. Um, it just so happened during the time of my relationship with, well, I was in two narcissistic relationships, but my like one that lasted the longest that like really did me in was this last one. And, you know, our phones listen to us talk. So, um, <laughs> it just started bringing up everyone, everyone like narcissist, everything. That's actually how <laughs> I found you. So I should be like <laughs> grateful for it in a way, but I've literally seen all over the board and, so I'm in college for psychology. I'm becoming a therapist mm -hmm. and I don't like people that just get online and start spreading information that they haven't studied or they haven't been through, mm -hmm. um, you know, because especially when it has to do with survivors of abuse, I don't think that's something that we should be playing around with. And I think we should get like correct information out to everyone 
Because when you talk, Ben, you talk like you're in the middle. You don't like you're not like against or for like you're just giving like straight facts in a way, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And so I really like that. And I've seen Lee Hammond's stuff. It's his videos crack me up. I actually haven't even reached out to him. Um, I don't know why I haven't reached out to him. I feel like he's been on everyone's podcast. So I don't know. <laughs> Lee, you've been used. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. I will reach out to him eventually, probably. Um, so let me ask you. You said that you had four different affairs? Uh, five, actually. Five? Mm-hmm. Okay. Were any of these going on like at the same time? Mm, there is typically like some version of a crossover. Um, there was like two in particular that did have like a crossover. Some of the others were more separate or more like long distance falling off and then starting another one. Okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering because my ex, he, um, was a youth pastor Mm. and, When everything blew up, I found more women than I would like to count Mm -hmm. in his phone. And it was so weird because he was texting all of us the exact same thing. Like it was like copy and paste, copy Mm -hmm. and paste. Um, And stuff to get him sympathy, like about his daughter being in the hospital, which he shouldn't have been talking to anyone about unless, you know, it was someone like close to like really close to him. Hmm. But whatever, it was just weird. Um, And then the one that shook them all was one of his youth from he's known her since she was 12 years old. Okay. Uh, She's older now. But I do believe that she was groomed in some form or fashion because Mm -hmm. I don't, and I will preach this until I'm in the grave, I don't think that it is normal to go and date your youth pastor that helped bring you up in the church when you were 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but he was a completely different person with her than he was with me. So he was like this godly, like fear mongling, like man with her, like no sex, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Got $15,000 from her, by the way, was use- clearly using her for money. Okay. But with me was like a party animal, like party like it's 1999. Mm-hmm. And he's 50. It was just bizarre when her and I got together and talked about our experiences. We quickly found out that we did not have the same experience with this person at all. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you did as well? Were you different with these other women that you dated? So I would definitely say like different with them versus my wife. Like a hundred percent like that. That was like polar opposite in it in a lot of different ways with the, with the various affairs. I would say a lot of them was very similar. So like kind of how you were talking about, like how like a lot of it was like copy paste and it wasn't necessarily copy paste because it wasn't at the same time with the majority of them, but it was 
very similar of coming across like looking like the victim or being like, Hey, my wife and I aren't getting along. You know, there is like the the same storyline, the same, like, you know, I'm loyal to people, but like I used to have these friends, they left, you know, that kind of thing. And like a lot of times, like there was this deeper level of almost like honesty and vulnerability with the affair partner than there was with my wife, because it just, it felt like it was like this freebie, like this past, right? Like there's this person that like, they're not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Like it, it, it's like the high of it, really. Like the high of being able to get away with it. The high of being able to have this like outlook. And I, and I wanted to sell a story to myself that like I'm the victim and I need this emotional support. All this kind of stuff. All these different lies that I would believe to be able to connect with different people. And each person, the personality shifts and changes just a little bit. So like we'll refer to it as being like the narcissistic mask, like what the person sees, right? Like it's going to mold and shape and shift differently depending on the person that the narcissist around, because like that one person, they like this genre of music and this person likes this genre of music. That person likes that TV show and you mold to be what that person wants you to be. And then that's the whole version of like, Oh, I found my soulmate. I found like the best person ever. It's because it's manufactured. And so like narcissists will switch like masks of like, I'm with this person, I'm going to look this way, interact this way. And then I'm with the next person. I'm, I act, I interact this way. It's different. And the hard part is that, like, it really screws it up for the survivor because then the survivor is looking and being like, wait a second, he's given this girl like everything that I wanted. Why wasn't I good enough when the hard reality is people don't realize it has nothing to do with you. Like it has nothing to do right. that you weren't good enough and he went to the next person. It's just the narcissist changing the mask, changing the manipulation tactics person to person. Is that a part of the love bombing phase? Uh, a piece of it. Yeah. A piece of it is like love bombing, trying to make them feel special. Um, for me, like um, uh, narcissists have like this piece of like being preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited power, success, brilliance, or ideal love. The other ones don't match up as much to me, but the ideal love was the one where it hit home because I'm like trying to predict and have this like fantasy, great connection, awesome, awesome connection with this person. So it's like, what do I have to mold or change to have that connection? And then the next person, I might have to come across completely different, talk different, like show up different, whatever it might be. So there's also this piece of like what the person's looking for. So like if you have a narcissist that's like, you know, obsessed with fantasies of like success, then he probably just wants a piece of eye candy on his arm. Like he doesn't really care at that level of like having a connection. He just cares about, okay, this person makes me look, gives me a certain supply to do the things that I want to do. Interesting. So it's very unauthentic do you remember like in your head you like plotting all of this out was it like premeditative or is it just how your brain was operating at the time were you just unaware of it for me i was more unaware of it and what i've seen with the majority of narcissists until you move into sociopath and psychopath there's less plotting and planning and more of just like knee-jerk reaction like gut instinct of like oh this is what i need to do like this is how i connect so like how i referenced like earlier like when i read the one chapter inside of psychopath three that talks about like six different ways to groom a victim that piece like i i set the book down for about two weeks because i was like this is so hard for me to actually understand that this is how i've been and this is how i've shown up because like the stuff in there that was considered grooming i considered that how i built a relationship 
how I built a friendship. It was just like how I operated. And I didn't think anything of it as far as like in a negative way. So that molding to a new person that I thought that was part of this is how we create this great connection, this great peace. There wasn't really this thought of, there was never a long-term thought. I guess put it that way. Like there's never like this long-term thought of like, wait a second, if I'm married and I have an affair, like how is this going to work out? Like there's not really a good scenario that's going to work out, but I never thought of that long-term. There's just in the moment, I want this connection. Like I, there's a, there's some chemistry here, right? Like there's something going on. And so leaning into that, not having any regard to how it could affect my job, how it could affect my wife, how it could affect my daughter, all those things. None of that was top of mind. It was just like, just keep doing like the next thing of what I wanted to do. What do you feel like fuels that? Is it, is it all of the shame? Is it, is it just something like in your soul that just is unhealed that doesn't feel right? And you're just kind of like running from that. Like you're constantly like trying to hit those like dopamine receptors or what is it? Dopamine is probably a big, a good example of like almost becoming an addict to supply, to getting something, to controlling, manipulating, or getting a reaction or response from another person. But it also becomes an addiction to be in the lie and not actually be honest, like the truthful piece. Because in all reality, if I wanted that connection, then what I should have done is gone to my wife and been honest with her. But instead, I chose to be a coward and like, let me find someone else who doesn't know me fully, but I can show this part of myself really well so that I can connect with them. So it's this piece of like running from the truth. The truth oftentimes is going to expose a narcissist for the aspect of shame and guilt. And guilt's normally like the first level of like, hey, I feel, I've, I feel like I did something bad right? Like understanding and knowing this doesn't fit into society. This doesn't fit into my morals, my religion, whatever it might be. Like I did something bad. And then that unleashes the piece of I am bad, the piece of shame that the majority of narcissists are running from, or that's underlying all of narcissism is this shame avoidance piece. So freaking interesting. And my mom will be so proud of me for just saying the word freaking. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first time I've said that on my show. Shout out, mom. I'm doing better. <laughs> um, so, oh my gosh. So this is, so it's, it's just giving me kind of like a revelation because I've always, since I come from trauma, mm-hmm. I've always kind of felt like people who have come from childhood trauma, they go like one or two ways. They are either the ones that are like, I'm going to heal from this shit and I want to help others or they just go on to keep repeating the pattern and keep hurting other people. You're kind of giving me a sense that there's a little bit more hope in the gray area of this if people become self-aware. As far as like for the narcissist or the survivor or just in general? For the narcissist, mm-hmm. traumatic event. They could have just grown up with a narcissist and it's kind of like a learned behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Which ends up being a traumatic event even of itself as far as like the emotional abuse. Yeah. So regardless, we've all been through a lot of crap. Um, I've really been working on having grace for mm-hmm. my ex. And I have to say, and I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. I thought I was dying the first three months after everything exploded. And it was 
like the come to Jesus moment where I knew that I had to get out of this relationship. There were so many times before major, they weren't even flags. They were just Mm. things that happened that I should have left a long time before. I was once the new supply. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's funny whenever I'm reading um, the new supply stuff, I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true. Yep. That's true. But I didn't know I was the new supply. I was totally lied to about the whole situation. I didn't even know that he was still married. Not good. Yeah, I didn't know that he was still married. He told me um, since I did meet him through like the church, um, Mm -hmm. we both worked with homeless organizations. I work with a nonprofit. He currently works for a company that homes homeless youth. Okay. And um, I knew him two years prior. And so I knew obviously about his wife and kids. But when him and I finally met up, he finally talked me into taking me out to lunch or whatever. I was like, you know, like, how's the wife and kids? And he was just like, she's, we're not together anymore. Hmm. And I was like, what? Like, what happened? I got the whole sob story, you know, all of that. Um, and then the love bombing came. He came over to my house and never stopped coming. And then one night he's, he's a functioning alcoholic. Um, he gave me the password to his phone. Dumbest idea he could have done till his day. He's like, I never gave it to you. You're just smart. You figured it out. Like I am smart, but not that smart. (laughs) I mean, whatever, but you know what? If you want to just say I'm that smart, I'll take it. Like whatever. Right. Um, but he literally gave me the pass, a passcode to his phone. I got in his phone and clearly like his wife was still living at home. Okay. So that just started like the whole, you need to pick between me or her thing. Like what is going on here? And that should have never even been a discussion. It should have been like, you've been lying for six months, mm-hmm. get out of my house. But I was also very unhealed at the time. And I was so into this guy, like just pulled in all the way. Like mm-hmm. I've never been pulled in before. So it was, yeah, it wasn't good. And then that stretched out for another two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But I am now no longer waking up wishing that I was dead. And I actually have days where I don't think about any of the trauma that happened anymore. I kind of have peace with it now. I feel like it can take survivors years to do that. And I've done it in like a six month, six, seven month span. So Mm -hmm. I've taken my healing very serious. I have therapists. Um, I've also done ketamine treatments. Um, Mm -hmm. Things of that sort, you know. So how long has this taken you from becoming aware to mm-hmm. now like healing and being a coach? How like what is the Yeah, the so time frame here? To give you like a perspective, like inside of therapy, like we're coming up on three years of working with my individual therapist, and that's been every single week. Uh, and then before that was about six months of EMD, EMDR therapy. And 
before that there was like, there was the sex addiction intensive. There was the stuff I did with wake up warrior that I still do today and still work with people in, through that frame in between therapy. And then also the stuff that I do inside of wake up warrior, which is a version of it is called stacking, which is this process of trying to get really clear of what is the story that I'm telling myself. And right now, to give a, a a blanket idea like stacking would be kind of like journaling but it's with prompts and so it's actually having you confront what you're believing feeling getting triggered with what are the emotions what are the facts you know, trying to get you back to the truth of what reality is versus the truth that i'm perceiving it is based on my emotions and stuff and so between therapy and then between stacking which currently like a regular stack takes me probably about an hour to an hour and a half to do like that's how much typing is in it compared to when I first did it. I'd be like, oh, like 15 minutes, I'd be done kind of a thing. But I've done almost 1600 of those. And so it's a constant process of pulling out thoughts and like rewiring how I think about them. So that in combination with therapy has been like the intensity and the intensiveness of the journey of what I do. And also with my involvement that I do inside of Wake Up Warrior is I travel to California every month where I'm in, in the room with other men that their whole baseline of being there is if you want to be a man, you have to tell the fucking truth. Like, so that's like the baseline premise. So there's all these people there that are willing to expose any lies that I have, expose any lies that they have to be able to say, hey, this is how we're going to actually show up as men. Because kind of go back a little bit to original point that you mentioned like a minute ago is there's this piece of like, okay, what about the narcissist, empathy for the narcissist, things like that. There's two things with that. One is it's still a choice. Like there's still a choice to abuse or not to abuse. And anybody that tells you there's not a choice, like they don't see full reality because a narcissist doesn't abuse every single person, right? Like he abuses you, but then the new supply he's not abusing in that period of time, or he abuses you, but then his coworkers thinks he's the greatest thing ever, right? Because it's not the same. There's always this level of the abuse is selective. So it is a choice. And the second thing is there's no true transformation that can happen for anyone out there, narcissist, survivor, human, if they're not willing to be honest. So at that point, like if you're with a person that is a liar and if you're with a person that's not willing to actually grow themselves or not willing to actually show vulnerability of what they're actually feeling, what they're going through, then I typically tell people you need to leave because there's no foundation for any healthy relationship to actually get built. So even though I don't necessarily go straight like black and white teaching on like narcissism, there still is a black and white line of like, if you're with a liar, you can't even work on the narcissism because it's trying to convince somebody who's in denial that they have cancer when they won't even like view that they have a hangnail, you know? So it's like, if we can't get the baseline someplace, we have nothing we can work on. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And yeah, you're right. I mean, after a while, I think for my my healing and just how I heal, I have to learn to, from my perspective, have grace for people. But I still have, I know that they're, especially if this has been going on, you're almost 50 years old, that you have to be held accountable mm-hmm. at some point. We all do. Um, I mean, I've done stuff in my life that I've had to be held accountable for, and I feel like that's for all adults, but especially those who need to heal and those that have abused others, you know, it's really powerful thing to be like, you know what? I, I'm a liar. 
and mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people around me. It, mm-hmm. um, if they don't, then yeah, I don't really feel sorry for them anymore. I do hold a spot of grace for them that just helps me keep my own peace for myself. Honestly, just like forgiving them. Mm-hmm. Um, what they did was atrocious. Um, I don't know if you've listened to some of my other podcasts, but it was, it was crazy. It was right. really nuts. I'm sure you've heard it all, especially through all of your coaching. So I think sometimes um, people get like the forgiveness piece confused, especially when we step into like religious circles. Because they'll think, well, I need to forgive this person. And that means I still need to interact with them. And just understanding like the principle, like forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. doesn't mean you even have to have anything to do with them. And then you have the flip side, other people that don't want to forgive because they're like, I'm bitter. I hate this person. I'm never going to let it go. And not realizing that there's a piece of forgiveness that is like releasing the emotional hold that that person actually has on your life, whether that's in the form of bitterness, anger, hatred, whatever it might be. It's, it's letting you actually, like you said, like with the the word grace is letting you have like the grace to actually move on and you be able to focus on you versus him controlling so much of your time or attention. Yeah. And I did grow up, you know, I grew up in the South, so, um, I am Christian and I, I lost my Christianity for a while. I just, I went out exploring, just, I've always kind of wanted to just figure out me and not what has been pushed on me and got rid of all the re- religion stuff and just have a really great relationship with God now. Um, but yes, you do not have to forgive anybody for them. It's just for you. Hmm. Like just just like if you're staying at home mad because some somebody did something to you, well that's holding you prisoner while they're out having fun doing whatever it is, you know, that they want to do. You got to let that go for yourself because they are out there they don't care. <laughs> they right. literally do not care <laughs> like at all. Having a time of their life with their other girlfriend or whatever it is that they're doing. And so I've just lived so much of my life. I would like to say to shame and and hate and hurt from unforgiveness that I refuse to live that way anymore. It's mm. it's just something that I cannot do anymore. Um, life is short. And I may not even wake up tomorrow and I don't want to waste today, you know. Right. Absolutely. Like at all. So there was one video on your um, Instagram that I would like to talk about real quick um, Mm -hmm. before we get to the end of the show. And you were talking about how um, Christians can't be narcissists, right? Or a narcissist can't be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you go into that a little bit for me? Yeah, absolutely. So... Like there's this piece that people are like, okay, but he's a Christian or he is in the religious organization that identifies Christian, whatever we want to like frame that piece initially stepping into it, uh, saved, whatever, knows God, you know, different pieces like that. And so what, what people sometimes get hung up on or confused is you have this person that is mentally, emotionally, maybe physically, sexually abusive, but has this label of Christian. It moves it into a unique stage where people are like, well, but he's good or like he's okay or that's that's okay. 
And part of that video is trying to help people understand that there's no such thing as a Christian narcissistic abuser. Like there's no such thing as a Christian abuser. And the the premise of that and the baseline of that is depending on where people fall with religion or Christianity or God, like God is not an abuser. God is not a narcissist. He doesn't make us do the things that we do. We have free will. We can make choices, right? And so there's this piece yeah. that people will be like, well, he's a Christian, but I'm like, you can't say that because of what he's doing, of how he's actually abusing. And so there's this aspect of looking a certain way, like saying one thing, but then showing the opposite. And so when someone's habitually showing up as an abuser, abusing mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it might be, they can't claim that they're a Christian. And the reason why I say that is because coming to Christ or having a saving knowledge of Christ or being a Christian, however you want to phrase a connection with God, means that you've had an experience or you've had a a connection or a communion with the God of the universe. What that does is that upsets that upsets the frame of narcissists because narcissists views themselves being the God of the universe, being the one that's in charge. Everybody else should bow down to them, serve them, things like that. And so it's when a narcissist is showing up this way that I'm like, no, like that's bullshit. Like you're not a Christian because of the simple fact that you can't claim that you've had an experience with the God of the universe and then walked away unchanged. And that's what happens is they'll be like, well, I'm a Christian, but I keep abusing. And even the Bible, if we want to quote that, like by their fruits, you should know them. So it's not that we're like, okay, like this person's definitely not saved, but you're like, hey, they can't be walking with God who wants to love and connect with people if they're ex- if they're showing this abuse all the time. And it's the same thing that we do even with narcissists. Like I don't diagnose people, but I say, hey, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it poops like a duck and it swims like a duck, it just might be a duck. And so when we're looking at the same thing, we're like, hey, if this person is not showing anything that actually shows by their life, like their demonstration, the the evidence of what's actually shown, then you can't really fall into that realm of, oh, they're saved, but they're still an abuser. I think they're just an abuser. I agree 100%. And it used to like really irk me once the mask had fallen off and I had seen the other side to my ex and people would be like, oh, but he's such a good Christian. And I'm just like, something about that just does not even feel okay, Mm -hmm. you know? And to have, you know, well, someone like that as a leader in your community is scary. And I just hope hope and pray we don't have that many more out there mm-hmm. in the church as leadership. That's so, so, so scary because, you know, people come to these places already broken and mm-hmm. vulnerable. And then Very they true. just become prey of these narcissists. And it's scary. It's really scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have people today that will still vouch for him so, no i know he was he's anointed and i'm like by the devil okay yeah. um so you do coaching right mm-hmm. yes tell tell us a little bit about your coaching and then after that we will go through and talk about where everybody can find you okay sounds good so um coaching kind of started it didn't even start as something that i was pursuing right it started as me posting on social media being like hey i'm going to do content to be honest and then people are like hey we want to talk to you started talking with people and we started to see patterns like we started to see like 
the same type of story, the same struggles, the same barriers. So we started building it into actual step-by-step. And so I have a very analytical brain. So being able to pull out of everyone's story and be able to start to look a bit like, hey, everybody's struggling with these different problems. Let's see if we can actually help bring them together in a way that helps them move through this in a positive way so they can actually be free. And so we started developing different courses, different challenges, different communities to start actually helping people liberate in in a consistent way with consistent results, see people show up. The hard part is you have the first initial barrier that goes for narcissists and for survivors of being honest. Like, are you actually honest about the facts about what you're struggling with? The facts that, hey, you love him or, hey, you feel like if you do this, you're going to hurt him. But what's the actual facts? What has he actually done? What has he demonstrated? All these things. So he started realizing like that's one piece of it. We need to bring that into it. We need to actually help. So I run a couple different communities. The main community that I'm a part of is called Thriver. And Thriver is about helping take people from victim to survivor to thriving, to growing, to developing their life. And it's a 120-day program that we've put together to help people walk step-by-step with other people. So it helps them link arms with other survivors that are on the same journey, that are on the same path, some some ahead, some behind as they come in. And that helps build this sense of community that's actually real because they actually get it. Like so many times people come and they're like, try to talk to my friends. They say, just leave. They don't understand. And it's because it's like, it's this addictive piece that unless you've been through it, like the, most people don't get it. Like most psychologists don't get yeah. it. Most counselors don't get it because they haven't experienced it. And so we start walking people through this process and I start teaching the same process that even helped transform me, which is stacking, which is helping them actually understand, wait a second, if I stop for a second, I can actually view what's actually happening. I might not like what's happening. I might not like, you know, because I believe something, I I have these lies, I have these stories that I'd rather believe than the truth. But then we actually start moving into, okay, what are the actual facts of the situation? Like, how did he demonstrate? What was his evidence? Like, all this stuff to try to break down. And then they sit and they struggle with the story fact thing of like, do I believe that he loves me or do I believe by his demonstration that he doesn't? And we start to break that down so that they can actually believe the real story, real story, not based on me, not based on them, but based on the facts. And that's what starts to liberate people faster and faster is the more honest we're able to get them about the facts of the situation. And it does a process that I normally refer to as rewiring. So a narcissist rewrites history, right? They they look at something that's true and they're like, so they look at something that's true. I cheated on you, right? And he looks at it and he's like, that's not true. I'm faithful. And he flips it around so that it feels like, oh, it's a good thing. He rewrote history, changed it from, from true to false. Rewiring oftentimes is on the survivor side where they believe something that's false, either placed upon from the narcissist or placed upon themselves of what they want to believe about the narcissist. Rewiring is going from the false piece of like, no, he actually loved me back to the place of like the truth of no, he cheated on you because he didn't care about you. And that's the piece we have to walk people through because if they're not able to engage with the truth, with the facts, ultimately they'll still stay stuck. So we've built several challenges, communities to try to help actually like walk people through those steps so they can actually be liberated. And we have many people that have even graduated from that community and that are running with us like in 2024, like are running with us for the year and we're maximizing like where they're going, like in their spirituality and their relationships and their businesses that they're running or starting all those different things. 
Nice. Do you have um, other men reach out to you who think that they might have MPD? I do. Uh, right now, I have a group of about 12 guys that I work with um, that have either NPD, narcissistic traits, liars, broken families, all those type of things. And I walk them through the same things that help change me. The same things of getting really clear about the lies, exposing those, walking that through, having a piece of accountability, having a place where they can actually go and communicate and connect with other men in an honest place. And so we've seen that grow. And we've also seen people only last a certain bit of time. You can, they, they weed out pretty quick. So you'll have someone that might come in or we'll have, we'll have a, a price point maybe at the front that might be just to deter the people who are just like window shopping and want to prove to their ex that they're, I'm changing, but they're not actually doing anything. But right now, I think it's about like 12 to 14 guys that I'm working with inside of that group as well. That's nice though, because I feel like us 12 or 14, like more that if there wasn't someone like you that would still just be sitting around struggling and probably too shameful to reach out to anyone to talk. So mm -hmm. anyone that is listening that thinks that you might have NPD or might have narcissistic traits, or if you are a victim, I want to encourage you guys to get help. There's many, many people on my show that offer coaching. Ben Taylor, he just told you about his coaching strategies. It is way different than any of the other strategies that I've had on my show. And honestly, if I still needed help, I like your strategy. Hmm. The coming to reality, facing reality, not what we think, but what really happened. Like mm -hmm. it's that sit down moment with yourself. I just want to encourage everybody. There's such a peace and freedom on the other side of all of this for both sides, I think. And I think together, if we focus on ourselves and we get a community around us and start to heal that's how we can eventually heal the world and our world around us. That's awesome. Ben, tell everybody where um, everyone can find you. I'm going to also link it in the show notes below, but just shout out all of your IGs, your YouTubes, your website. Your, yeah, we're on, on just about everything. Your parasite. So, right. I'm just kidding. So make it, make it easy for everybody. Just raw motivations. So TikTok, raw motivations, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, I think like we're just about everywhere, but it's just under raw motivations. And our website is rawmotivations.com. So just www.rawmotivations.com. It shows a couple of the different challenges. It gives an application there for you to apply for the Thriver community that I run. And there's a place where you can just book a one-on-one -on -one and we can sit down and talk and figure out where you're at, what's going on and what might be the best route moving forward in your healing process. Okay, and so that's raw, like www.rawmotivations.com. Yep, that's it. So if you guys want to reach out to him to have a one-on-one -on -one or just in general to speak to him about anything, contact him on his website. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right, Ben, it's been such a pleasure having you today. Thank you for taking out time in your day to be here. I know it's a crazy world. Well, at least it is for me. And so Absolutely. I've been having a hard time trying to keep all this together. Thanks for having um, me on. We'll be in touch. It. Sounds good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.